This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's Week. It's your club and this is your show. One hard-fought point against Liverpool and three even harder-fought points against RB Leipzig. And Manchester City are one step nearer to getting the other side of their tricky run of fixtures. Maybe it could have been more from the Premier League game last weekend, but many would have settled for the point beforehand. Maybe it could have been less from the Champions League game in midweek, but City eventually got the job done to win the group. We'll look back over both of those games on today's Blue Moon podcast, plus the hard games keep on coming. Tottenham might have lost three in a row recently, but a game against City is often a tonic for any Hotspur woes they might be suffering. Meanwhile, one of the teams that beat them is the opposition for City's game after that as Guardiola takes his team to Aston Villa next Wednesday. Previews of both of those games coming up later in the show with podcasters Jack from Rule the Roost and Frankie from All Villa No Filler. Plus, we'll also be attempting to put to bed the idea that the Guardiolaization of football has made things predictable and dull. More on that later on. But first, I'm David Mooney and joining me for this week's show is from the Daily Mail, Jack Gorn. David, how are we? I'm not bad, thanks. And you took me completely by surprise by not saying hello there. <laughs> We've had this before, haven't we? Yeah. With hellos. Yeah, got to keep... Give you a, try and give you a different hello every time, and you are foxed every time. Yeah, got to keep me on my toes. Uh, City mm. fan Chris Higginbottom's with us as well. Well, um, no point in introducing me, really, because... After all, as the saying goes, who remembers the second guy <laughs> on, the, on the podcast? Yeah, I, uh, I'm glad we got there already. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, ultimately that was ridiculous, wasn't it? Because, um, as, as Maka quite rightly pointed out, Jack, uh, everyone remembers the second man on the moon. Uh, yeah, I, I came a bit late to this. I didn't, um, I didn't see it for like a day until I looked at Twitter and saw that Buzz Aldrin was trending. Oh, he's died. Yeah. Why has this happened? Uh, And then got to that and then got to the sticker. um, (laughs) And it was, yeah, it was a long day. I didn't get much done. Uh, Indeed. Um, And you know what? We're not going to get much done today because... It's time for a game of Buzz Aldrin. True or false? Good Possib- Lord. Possibly the Why earliest... Why are we giving no forewarning of this? Uh, big... uh, every time. <laughs> Possibly the earliest time I've ever done this, but since it was brought up naturally, I thought instead of crowbarring it in later on, we'd do it now. Um, we all know that Buzz Aldrin was the second person on the moon, but let's find out some more about him. This one is a learning opportunity for everybody. Six questions, all of them simply true or false. So you've got a 50-50 chance of being right. Um, I don't expect you to know them. We'll just learn some stuff about Buzz Aldrin. How does that sound? Well, it sounds like we're doing it. Well, we are doing it. Come on, mate. Yeah. It sounds inevitable. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, Higgy, one to six, pick a number. Um, Two. You couldn't even answer that. Yeah, I know, well, yeah, well, it wasn't. Fi- I was told all the questions were 50 50, and then I get six <laughs> options. Was it six, five? I don't even know. Yeah, one to six, six options. Uh, but you, could, you can't get that one wrong. Uh, maybe you get this one wrong. True or false? Uh, Buzz Aldrin says moon dust smells like fireworks. False. In fact, it's true. Uh, they couldn't smell it on the moon, obviously, but they could smell it when they got back into the lunar lander, and he said it smelled like the air after bonfire night. There you go. Well, duh. <laughs> Left in speechless. Jack, over to you. Uh, one. Number one. Okay. Edwin Aldrin legally changed his name to Buzz in the 1980s. True or false? Um, false. Lord I'd, averages. No, it's oh, true. It's true. It was 1983 and he was yeah. called... Yeah, I know this. I read up about Buzz Aldrin. So yeah. I should be doing better <laughs> than this. Yeah, Buzz was his nickname as a kid. His sister used to pronounce brother as Buzzer, and Buzz just stuck. So there you go. 
So uh, another swing and a miss. Uh, Chris, over to you. Three, four, five, or six to go. Uh, six. Number six. Okay. Uh, Buzz Aldrin is the oldest person to reach the South Pole. True or false? Oh. Well, it's so ridiculous, it must be true. It is true. Um, he did it in November 2016, aged 86. Oldest person Get at the South Pole. Yeah. Well done, Buzz. I thought you were going to switch and go, ha ha, no, it was the North Pole or something. <laughs> no, oh. I've not done any of them, don't worry. Uh, Jack, over to you. Uh, four. Number four, okay. Uh, Buzz Aldrin appeared as a guest on America's Got Talent to sing the Frank Sinatra hit Fly Me to the Moon. True or false? Well, True. Uh, it's not, it's false. However, Are he you did... kidding me? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> Why has he not done that? Uh, but he did dance Everything to that. Everything else was true. I, I thought did... you were just going to ask six true questions. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, he, d- he did dance to that song on Dancing with the Stars, though. So, um, oh. well, yeah. Right, okay. I mean, half a point? Uh, go on, then. Half a point. Don't I'm really, don't, don't really know true why. or false? Yeah, you're still winning, mate. It's, it's, it's not like... half true, is it? Is that what you're saying? No, I mean, no one's winning here, but go on. <laughs> uh, Chris, two to go. Uh, you can have uh, question three or question five. Which would you like? Three. Three, okay. Buzz Aldrin is actually Canadian. True or false? Well, see, this is another bone of contention because we were discussing this the other day and apparently he's Canadian. So I googled it, and he was born in New Jersey and grew up there. So, so is it true or false? I don't know. How can he maybe? Has he been there for ages and become naturalised? Um, I'm going to go against my better judgment here and say he's American. No, he's Canadian. Uh, Canadian, yes, he's Canadian. I, are you are you fucking mental? He was born in New Jersey. You said that he's he's American. You just literally read out the answer. <laughs> I know, but like, <laughs> this is Nico's fault. He said he was Canadian, uh, and I was like, "Oh right, uh, it says here that he's from New Jersey." Are you sure he's Canadian? He didn't answer me, so no, he's from New Jersey. He is American. It's false. <laughs> Fuck. Do you know what? I'm going to give Nico such a pinch. Yeah, so uh, Jack, that leaves you, you with... your own head, then. Yeah, yeah. I did, yeah. Incredi- incredible gameplay. Um, Jack, that leaves you with question five. Um, Buzz Aldrin once won a bronze medal for the USA in the pole vault in the 1952 Olympics in Helsinki. Oh. True or false? I don't know. <laughs> Do you care? <laughs> I, uh, well, I'm, I'm struggling to, but... Um, uh... Whichever answer I give, I'm going to sound stupid. I don't know anything about this fella, really. It's not its not something I've ever read up on. Um, logic of space is for nerds. Uh, true. <laughs> I, I wish it was, but unfortunately, <laughs> it's false. Ah, it's silver medal in the disc. <laughs> <laughs> No, he was a pole vaulter at uh, the West Point Military Academy, but never got to Olympic level. I mean, obviously it was false, but I mean, <laughs> if I, if it if that fact was true, and I didn't know it, is that worse than me saying true and it's false? No, no, no. I like I didn't true, expect anybody to know anything of those of those questions. It was just a bit of fun. That's all. <laughs> I like that I've got. I like that. I like that I've got in both of your heads. Like, yeah, you've rubbed us both up the wrong way there, David. Less than ten minutes in, but here we are. I have been triggered. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
Right, well, let's get on with the actual podcast. Um, for the 2023-24 season, the Blue Moon Podcast is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sports venues are showing every televised City fixture over the course of the season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. This season, Green King has launched the Green King Sports Instagram page, which will be a home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. They've already given away Champions League final tickets and signed shirts, so you don't want to miss out. Out. Drop them a follow on Instagram and you won't just be the first to know about all of this. You'll be helping out the Blue Moon podcast as well. Um, let's go back to uh, this week then, because uh, a draw against Liverpool, win over Leipzig, just about. Um, Chris, how, how do you feel about the, the pair of performances that City have put in this week? Uh, I was disappointed after after Liverpool. Um and I'm still disappointed now. It's still after Liverpool, but Leipzig, I can kind of understand why they were a bit flat and not up for it. Um, and to be honest, being two 0 down at half time and winning three two is, a, from a you know a punter's kind of perspective, it's better to watch than a pedestrian four 0 in many ways. Yeah. But uh, possibly could have got more from Liverpool. Is that the feeling? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it didn't. It never, it never felt enough at one nil. Um, I think the there was little protest over the goal that got disallowed from the uh, very soft challenge on Allison. And I don't know. There just seemed to be a bit of a lack of uh, kind of vim and, and vigor generally. Uh, I thought it was a bit snide of um, a pep to have a go at the fans. Uh, it's it was very cold. It was very hard to kind of get G'd up at that time in the morning, and it kind of it provides a vehicle for people to get on the the bandwagon about City's fans. Um, that I was watching, I didn't uh, go to the game on Tuesday, um, but like Glenn Hoddle on the commentary that I was watching was um, like always like not subtly having a bit of a dig at how the atmosphere could be better and oh sometimes you need to uh, you know the fans need to be like a 12th man to pick the team up it's like well oh I'm sorry Glenda it's like minus six it's we're already um, you know qualified it's hard to, to get up against like you know you're playing Leipzig for the 16th time in the in the group stage it's just a bit uh, it's a bit much really yeah. and with, with regard to the Liverpool game the Liverpool fans were really really quiet as well but nobody but nobody seems to have mentioned that hmm. Jack for the performances and, and the way the week's gone um, after the Leipzig game Guardiola kind of hinted at complacency in the in the press conference because he said uh, like if, if they needed to win they'd have played better than they did um, is it fair is that, is that a thing that is creeping in do you think yeah I thought that was an answer to a terrific question actually um, <laughs> <laughs> who, who could uh, have asked that one I wonder I don't know uh, Don Farrell um yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's. I, I don't think it's complacency because they just don't do that, do they? Um, I just. I don't. I think there's too, too many of them that are playing in sort of sixes out of tens at the moment, um, or in Akanji and Diaz's cases, four out of tens and defending like space cadets. <laughs> if you'd like to bring it back to the start of the show, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I just. Uh, we've had this so often over the years where it's just they, they, they have a little blip and then Christmas time comes and they start winning and then by March 
everybody turns around and goes, oh my God, the Premier League's so boring. It's Man City every year. <laughs> when the same people in like October were saying, this what's is going to be the year that Arsenal, yeah. Yeah, Arsenal are going to win it or Liverpool are going to run away with it. Uh, it's just, I think this is just following a very similar pattern to to previous seasons, really. I know that's a really boring answer. Well, no, it's, it's, it's not because... Like, I think it is complacency, by the way. Really? Yeah. I mean, if you can win playing at 7 out of 10 kind of effort-wise, then why are you going to be busting your balls and risking injury at trying to put in a gut-wrenching, lung-busting performance for 90 minutes? And the, might have in the back of the mind that they are carrying an injury or they are aware of if I get injured, then we, we truly are screwed. I don't know. It's like psychologically, I think it does it does creep in. Yeah. Which is why you need a manager like, like Pep, really. And it's not it's not a, a boring answer, Jack, because there is like I, I do feel differently about this season as a City fan compared to previous seasons, where I'm actually like I, I don't think the performances have been great so far, um, and I think there's been. Well, I would disagree with that because I think the performances in the first eight weeks yeah, of the season I'm, were absolutely amazing. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I, I I should I, I should kind of reevaluate that. I mean, more in the last few weeks, we t- like we're talking um, kind of. Maybe since the second international break, first international break, there was a period where that that period that involved Wolves and Arsenal and, and that mm. sort of stuff as well, um, and it kind of feels like 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 Chris is saying that they are very much in conservative mode, ready to go again after Christmas sort of thing. And I'm quite re- I'm, I'm relatively relaxed about it all. Like last season, the way the way last season started, it felt like. I couldn't put my finger on what was wrong, but certainly before the World Cup, and then even in the even in the couple of months after the World Cup, it I, I, it got worse after the World Cup. But the first the first half of the season felt like something wasn't really quite clicking, and I was worried that Arsenal were gonna were gonna just gonna get too much ground and and get away from City. Whereas this year, I feel like the performances may be on a par with the first half of last season, but still, I'm I'm quite relaxed mm. about how it'll go after Christmas, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean the big. I know we'll probably go on to talk about him later in the show, but. I, They've not got the best player. They've not had the best player all season. Mm. Um, and you, you know, look at the amount of runs that Harlem makes. That they just don't. They either don't see him or don't want to play the ball because they think it's too risky. And even that Liverpool game last last weekend, like, must have been three or four times when he was making a proper dart in between the centre halves. Just needed a ball, in, you know, over the top or between the centre half and a full back, which De Bruyne would give. And none of them are playing it, and you, you know, you put someone of De Bruyne's quality back in that team, and then bang, 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 yeah, yeah, they might miss the same amount of chances, but they're creating double the amount, so therefore they go and win that game three one. Yeah, hard agree on that. Even someone of Bernardo's quality in the same position looks up and is kind of reticent to risk the pass that will be second nature to De Bruyne. Yeah, and Alvarez, as good as Alvarez is, he can't. He doesn't see. Doesn't see the big picture, like I mean, no one does, do they? And that's that's sort of my point. It's just he's he's that good that, and that, I I guess that would be frustrating for for you guys as supporters that, you know, if De Bruyne was missing out of a Liverpool team or a Man United team, people would be talking about it all the time, um, and it'd be used in mitigation for some of the results or performances. But it just doesn't, just never gets a mention with with City and and De Bruyne missing. I don't think. Mm-hmm. They're all convinced that we've got this massive squad to pick from, aren't they? It's like the, the brainwashing is complete. Well, that was the thing. Do you remember, David? You might remember this. Like that, I did something a few years ago about how the squad's too small to win a quadruple. Yeah, and Paddy Power 
ripped the piss out of me all over social media going, this is absolute nonsense. But it's like, well, they have like 18 players. Like, what are you talking about? Like, surely you've got like eyes and an abacus. It's not like difficult to sort does, of tot up. Does anybody have an abacus? I don't have an abacus. Um, yes, yeah, so, my I, I have a decorative abacus in oh, my okay. uh, dining room. So I, I am the odd one out here. I, I don't, don't really. Like, <laughs> oh, right. Oh, fine. Okay. So I'm not the odd one out. I, I was starting to wonder, like, like should, I, should, Thebes. Yeah, should I? <laughs> should I go? Should, we, should I be heading out to get an abacus? Is that, the, is that what, what we're learning there? Um, but no, Jack, you're absolutely right in terms, of, uh, in terms of squad size. And that was a few years ago when, it, when the squad was slightly bigger. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you look at, you know, you look at who they've let go in the summer, particularly McAtee and Parkman, you go, well, they could have they could have had valuable sort of minutes in the last few weeks. Um, but it's a bit of a balancing act, isn't it? Because obviously what they were promised was never going to be enough for them, whereas City probably could have done with them. But what do you do? Yeah, couldn't, couldn't give them the, the minutes that they would want. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, just on the chances thing, because um, Jack mentioned it before, Chris, uh, that uh, with the Broner in the team, maybe they would create more and score more, but still miss as many as they do. Um, I'm starting to wonder, like, are you getting worried by the number that they're missing? Because they are still Premier League top scorers, but ultimately they created the chances against Liverpool to put that game to bed and they didn't do it. They were awful in that first half against Leipzig, still created a, a load of chances that, that they decided to blaze over the bar. It, it's almost like a, a case of a lot of these problems could be solved by just scoring a few of your chances. Yeah, they should be scoring more. Uh, I think, I don't know, maybe complacency is the wrong word. Um, it's like that sort of um, psychological thing where it's really hard to, it's a really, really bad analogy, so forgive me in advance. <laughs> I but am I, so, I, I, so looking forward to this now. <laughs> I find it really hard to like revise properly until the exam is like worryingly close. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's no and pressure I, like the pressure of a deadline. Exactly, yeah. And I think that kind of looming deadline pressure kind of sense really hones the senses um, of them as professionals, as footballers. And they just do seem to... And again, it could be complacent to to just rely on that. <laughs> complacent to assume that we're just being complacent at the moment and everything will be fine. <laughs> Time myself in complacency knots. But... Yeah, they should be more clinical. Do I expect them to improve as the season goes on? Yeah, um, because if we don't, we're screwed. And I kind of believe in, in the team against um, the opposition that we've got in that league. We are weaker, but I've said this before, I do think we are weaker. Um, but the teams around us, even though they've strengthened, I don't think they're quite as strong as us. So yeah. Maybe on the balance, closed, I think we'll be okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a narrower, uh, narrower distance for them to kind of... Um, Bridge. get to they're in touching yeah. distance but they're not quite there yeah um, is my hope just on the deadlines thing jack how good are you with with deadlines are you are you are you one of those that's writing right up to the deadline or are you uh are you quite good at, at getting your copy in early and relaxing afterwards uh it depends what the deadline is the deadline's on tuesday night and the match brought that to be in on the 80th minute and i was writing right up to the deadline i love i love all that i live for that yeah like, there's nothing like the adrenaline of a Proper deadline. If there was, if there's a, I've got a piece to do on um, CFG and Postacoglu and stuff and lads at Spurs for Sunday. Like the deadline for that is like 
uh, get it in like Friday at some point. So we, just, you, you won't, that off. yeah, you'll keep putting yeah. that off. You won't write it yeah. till like Friday morning sort of thing. Yeah. No. Whereas like the ones where it's like, uh, we need 500 words in the next six minutes. Like I love that. Yeah. I, uh, I, I and just thrash my forehead against the, <laughs> the, <keyboard. laughs> the laptop. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I went to uni with a lad who, um, uh, won't be listening to this as a Bradford fan, but, uh, he, he, I've never known anyone trusting his own ability to just do something like right up to the deadline. The number of assignments that he didn't start until a couple of hours before the deadline, like would have me in, in absolute sweats, but, uh, no, he was, well, uh, I mean, did he manage it? He did manage it. Yeah. 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 And he got a better grade than I did. So <laughs> there wow. we are. Yeah. Um, I do think it brings out the best. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about um, City going forward on uh, one flank in particular because um, uh, quite often the decision this season has been uh, Doku or Grealish, and we've kind of we've done that discussion to death. But I specifically want to talk about how Doku's impacted the games this week um, because Jack, there was uh, there was a little bit of a, of a discussion around whether he was player of the match against Liverpool, and some people seem to say, yeah, it's nailed on absolutely, and others were just like, how on earth has this come about? Yeah, that that spilled over into the press box as well. I could just let anyone saying he wasn't man of the match on Sunday, like, well, my head fell off. I was like, how can you <laughs> not give him man of the match? Like, he was, he was brilliant. I think he created four chances. Um, and you look at, like, the Alvarez chance, that like, should go in. If it goes in, you're like, oh, Doku's gone around the outside of McAllister. He's cut it back, absolutely game-changing piece of... Um, piece of movement, piece of play. But because it doesn't go in, you're going, oh, well, what else has he done? I just, like... It doesn't spread... make it any worse or better, does it? The fact no. that he wasn't finished off. He spreads, he spreads the game. He, he widens the pitch. He's exciting. His, his end product is better than I was expecting it to be. Um, and it's been something that... yeah. Has been work, he's been working it's, on it for years. The end product. It's it's one of those, isn't it? It's better than than we were expecting, but worse than it needs to be. If that makes sense. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's worse than it needs to be. I think we, you, you know, if you have a if you have a winger that's that tricky, that quick, well, that explosive, and have him as a you know this end product machine, you you're looking at like the best player in the world, aren't you? And he's not that. Like everyone's got the flaws. Um, and it's to be expected, but I think he, I think he contributes enough uh, with the with the last pass and how he is around the uh, how he is around the box. Yeah, to to sort of yeah, not be not be criticised by like quite a decent sized number of people. I just thought it was odd. Yeah, Chris. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the Leipzig game, he comes on, he absolutely changes it. The second he's on, the game's a different game. Mm. Gave it uh, the the lift it needed. Um, the thing is with Doku is, I think going back to what you're saying there, but still relating to the Leipzig game as well, but more of a general point, like he's he's definitely um, he's good enough for our team on you know evidence based, and that's why he's getting in. But I think he'll he'll improve as well, and he's he's a classic winger, isn't he? And they're kind of their own their own breed. It's like a separate kind of footballer, and. It's like a, you're a duelist, aren't you? In more ways, in more than any of the other positions on on the pitch, because it's quite often it's just you against a fullback. And some wingers, they make it their business that their role is to beat their man, and he does that. And it's quite 
difficult to do that game in game out and it you have to you have to accept that it won't always work so the fact that he's mainly able to beat his man there's he came up against um Reese James didn't he and he didn't get found out it just wasn't his day i'm sure he could play against chelsea you know 10 times and he might we might get the better of him 60% of the time maybe 50 maybe 40 but it's it's just like you know what i mean you can't you got to accept as a winger i don't care who they are they're not always going to be winning the battle overall they might just beat the man once and get a, a match yeah. winning assist in, in, in many ways it's like as a winger it's not about winning the war in your individual battle it's about winning a battle that is good enough for the team to win the war isn't it well yeah but for the wing from the winger's point of view he wants to win that individual battle and if that doesn't work then luckily we've got another another tactic to throw at um in the form of of Grealish but I I'm really pleased with with Doku uh and I think there's enough kind of intelligence there um for for us to improve him as well mm. yeah Jack you uh, you've been to Belgium this week as well uh, how was that yeah um quick I went over for just just over 24 hours um to go and see some people at Andalek to talk about him and uh, I went up to Antwerp where he was where he was raised so um yeah, it was good. It was it was weird that a day before the trip, I found out that Sam Lee was on the same <laughs> doing same the very same thing at the very same time. So that was pretty awkward, to be honest. But uh, but we survived. Yeah, unfortunate. Um, we uh, we all have to put up with him somewhere. Um, yeah. Let's let's talk about uh, City at the back, Chris. Um, because uh, do you feel like like City are just not? I don't want to say there's a worry with the defence, but there's there's almost an element of that they can't control games in the way that they used to. A bit of both. I think it all feeds into each other. Uh, we, I think it's a huge lack of presence and voice on the pitch that ups everyone's concentration levels and communication uh, in the form of Stones and De Bruyne not being there. Diaz and Akanji, the mistakes that they made, I, I don't know... I, I've seen them play brilliantly for months on end, game after game. I've seen them be completely like exemplary for the majority of a season. Yet, I still feel that those mistakes that they made, they always kind of have that in them. It's, I don't know. Akanji took a long while to win me over when he first came round. I just thought he was he had a turning circle like the QE two, and he just seemed to switch off, and then he just shut me up by being absolutely mint for, for like the rest of the year. And yet that mistake, although dozier than I think I would ever expect from him, he's got that level of kind of mistake in him. Does that make sense? I don't know. It's like Diaz, he slides in a bit too much. I've said that the last time I was on, I think he, he's got that, uh, he, I mean, he didn't slide in on that occasion, but he has done it. He, he commits when he shouldn't. In yeah. a sort of um, lesser Ottoman, well, he committed when he shouldn't for the goal, didn't he? The other night, definitely. That's what I mean. Yeah, he, yeah. He, but it wasn't a slide in. But he did commit when he shouldn't, and it's so obvious as well not to do. It's like that's defending one hundred and one. Like just you, you, you high up the pitch. There's acres behind you. The guy's rapid. If he beats you, you're going to have to turn around, and he's just he's going to be at full tilt. You're not going to catch him. Just be more sensible with it. Like, yeah, but if you win the ball, they're not getting out. Yeah, well, just hold him up. Like his percentages, isn't it? He's obviously made the wrong decision, and thankfully, if if there's a, if there is a, a perfect time to be exposed as you know vulnerable and learn from it, then 
that game was a perfect opportunity to do it. I'd rather they did it now, get bollocked, have a think about it, sit, in the, sit on the naughty step for a while and come out of it knowing that you need to concentrate better. And if you make that mistake again, then you might be lucky to get back in the team. Then, you know, all the better for it. Yeah. Jack, all, it was a good time. all of the goals, Jack, that City have conceded in the Champions League this season have practically been the same. It's been a ball through the middle or over the top. Somebody's got mm. turned and then the opposition have, have broke away, scored. Like one or two, you can kind of go, that's a nice coincidence. But when it's five times, it feels like a pattern starting there. Yeah, but then that doesn't really happen in the Premier League, does it? I don't know. I Maybe they're, are, they, are they defending a slightly higher line in the Champions League, maybe? I don't, I, it seems... It's just odd, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it seems strange. I mean, you, look, you put the, the two the other night with just like basic defensive mistakes, which were complete howlers. Um, so therefore, probably probably unfair to lump them in with the rest of the with the other three goals in the Champions League just because they were so sort of glaring as 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 individual errors. Um but yeah, I just be interesting to see what what they do now cuz Walker started the season like a train kind of plateaued a little bit. Diaz this sounds like there's stuff going off the going on um off the field. I don't know how much that has impacted his uh, his performances in the last few weeks. Akanji, I'm very much with uh, Iggy on Akanji. Like, I just, this is wrong of me, but I just I look at him and go, you've got a rick in you. I don't know what it is. It's just, I'm not, I'm not completely sold on him. Mm. And then you look at it and you go, well, the way Nathan Ake played on, on Tuesday when he, when he came in, is it now his time to have a bit of a run in the team? I was I was going to say this because you look at uh, you look at where Ake's played lately. Um, it's either been him or Guardiola for um, for left back, and I thought Guardiola was was pretty solid in what was a circus of a game on Tuesday night. Um, does it like? Uh, is there any difference between keeping Guardiola at left back and putting Ake in the centre? I'd probably. Or the other way around, I don't know. I'd probably play Ake at left back and have Guardiola in the middle. I mean, I feel a bit sorry for Ake because he's always the four guy. There's always, they always, you know, it always feels like there's someone bigger and better to play ahead of him, and then he always sort of finds a way, muscles his way into the starting eleven. Yeah. Um, Although Lee Majors was the well. four guy, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I think. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Ignoring that, Jack's just yeah. going to carry on. I'm just going to I'm just going to plow on with the earnest football chat, um, <laughs> which I can't actually. Just 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 move on. Yeah. Okay. Well, the final the final <laughs> defender to uh, kind of talk about is it's not. I mean, he's not even a defender. I don't think anymore um, because he's just he's just good everywhere he plays. Is Rico Lewis, uh, Chris? Um, again on uh, Tuesday night in an absolute circus of a game, just showed a lot of maturity, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, maturity, football intelligence, call it what you want. It's tell you what he's really good at, knowing when to um, go down, you know, the sort of Didi Haman um, ilk. Oh, Haman. I, I, it's interesting you went for Haman, because I always think of Gareth Barry in that instance. No, yeah, he went popped to into my head yeah, just knows after, when yeah. to buy a free kick. Yeah, but he uh, he kind of, he already he knows where everything is before he's got the ball. And if he's getting rattled, there's a, a switch that flicks in his head. That flicks in his head as if to say, like, I'll lose the ball here and we're screwed, but 
if I go down, I will get the free kick. So that's one way of keeping possession. And he, he knows when to choose that option. And uh, he absolutely hates himself when he misses a half-decent goal-scoring opportunity as well. He really, you can see him berating himself, uh, the chance that he missed against uh, Leipzig. I can't, you know, can't sing his praises highly enough. There are occasions where, you know, he doesn't get the decision-making 100% spot on and he looks like, I don't know, um, only a 26-year-old seasoned <laughs> professional, but yeah. it's hard to really uh, have a go at him for that. He's, yeah, a wonderful little player and uh, it's a pleasure to have him and a joy to, joy to watch him progress. Yeah. Um, and finally for uh, the week, Jack... Um, Rodri had possibly one of the worst games I've I've ever seen Rodri play against Leipzig. Mm. Um, why why was that? Do you think? Like, like, is there is there anything other than he's just it's it's just been one of those games where it's been going mad and he's just not been able to get on it? Or I mean, it's been a bit of an old season. Get on it. It's just he didn't use the ball, yeah. like, at all, did he? It was I didn't I didn't look the other night actually. I should have looked for his pass completion in the first half. It must have been the lowest. Well, he, gave, he, he, he gave about five away trying to sweep yeah. it out to Bernardo on the on, yeah. the, on the wing. He's um, getting I, caught on the ball and everything, wasn't he? I, I'm just I'm just feeling like I mean he got caught on the ball by Salah as well in the in the Liverpool game. But I'm just I'm just feeling like um, it's been a bit of an old season from him because like the the red card against Forest that's that's a that's not a very Rodri thing to do. Well, he nearly did that um, in a game recently as well, didn't he? Was it a Liverpool game? I thought he was going to swing for someone and then he stopped himself. It's just it just doesn't feel like a very him thing. And are we are we yeah. seeing signs of mental and physical fatigue? He's mentioned it himself in terms of the amount of games he's played. Yeah, he's not only undroppable because of his form; he's undroppable because of Calvin Phillips' form. <laughs> and you know, it's sort of harsh, brutal, but we would be rotating him more if Phillips was trusted. And I would love um, Phillips to be playing well enough to be trusted and, and to be that man. But obviously uh, that plane has sailed. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the other, the other thing is Kovacic as well. Like, Kovacic was brought in to be able to play both positions in, in centre midfield. A wall, Wolves are such a shambles. Yeah. That is he, is he going to play in there again? Um, he's back in training. He's not, I don't think he's, oh, right, right. Don't, he's not been dropped. He's, he's, yeah, he's just been but, been unfit. But we need yeah. to be we need to be able to afford to to rest him, and we need to be able to let Diaz and Akanji know that they're not undroppable by rotating them as well. Well, so the sort of Akanji in midfield thing is just you know it's not for me. Mm. If it's going to happen, it's going to be a very slow burner. Um, it might take out the element of risk as last man, <laughs> if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll see how that progresses. Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. So now we're going to move on. And every now and then you see or hear someone say that they find watching City boring. That's fine. That's their opinion. And obviously our opinions differ. But this week it was suggested in one national newspaper, not Jack's, don't worry, uh, that football in general has become boring. And it's Guardiola's fault. Fewer shots from range, more control of games and an all-time low for headed goals have been put at the City manager's door. I've been looking into it. (laughs) 
is football really becoming more boring? Whoever says it, I think they've they've got this sort of sense of nostalgia of how good football was and how many, you know, amazing bits of skill and stuff that we used to see from years gone by. But realistically, as you look back, it's not really a thing. That's the former City defender Nader Manua. I asked him about that this week after one newspaper column bemoaned Guardiola's role in a drop in the number of spectacular goals and a rise in teams searching for control of games. If City hadn't had won the things which they'd won in the last few years, it wouldn't have been something that was said because, say, other teams like Liverpool, Arsenal, so on, other sides at the top, they've discovered the formula and get on this, this is a wild formula. It's better to have the ball and to score loads of goals and not concede many than it is to not have it and to just rely on one person to try and bail you out. Let's start right there with the long shots thing. Here's Chris Collinson. He's the football stats guy at BBC Sport. Ten years ago, almost half the shots in the Premier League were from outside the box, 45%. But then so far this season, and it was the same last season, it's one in three. And that's been season on season. And like I said, if we say Guardiola arrived at 2016... In the three seasons before that, it had gone 45% to 43% to 41%. So I think this was happening generally across football and it was happening at Man City before Guardiola arrived. Chris explains how clubs use the data available to them, like, for instance, expected goals. Before XG arrived, we, you know, we would tally up the number of shots and people would say, oh, this team had more shots than the other, therefore, you know, they were unlucky but not all shots are the same. And we everybody knows that instinctively and all that XG has done is is put a number on it. Now, there is, you know, there is a danger to like, oh, this, you know, we had a better XG on the day, therefore we should have won. It doesn't really work like that because at the end of the day, you've got to take your chances. But it is really useful for teams over the long term to see like, okay, we're not winning, but are we at least playing well? Are we getting the chances? And this can often go against what feels right for fans. Chris supports Sunderland, and this happened to him when he watched them play at Blackburn earlier this season. You know that moment when like, a, a player sort of runs onto the ball about like, 25, 30 yards out, and everybody just goes, shoot! And just instinctively, the voice in my head was like, no, no, don't shoot, pass it out wide, pass it... And I just eye-rolled myself. And obviously, famously, there's the Vincent Company goal, where even like Guardiola and Aguero admit that they were screaming at company, you know, no, Vinny, don't shoot kind of thing. So, it, you know, statistically, it was the wrong decision. But at the time, whether it was just the moment and the Roy the Rovers thing, but company was confident he was going to score. And, you know, it ended up making the difference in terms of you winning the title. Anua, meanwhile, thinks that improvements in how we understand and use data is likely to be guiding this trend for fewer long-range shots. If players are taking on fewer shots from distance now, then it's going to be stat-driven. If it's stat-driven, this isn't Guardiola. This is Sam Allardyce. So maybe Sam Allardyce is the reason why there are fewer shots getting taken from outside there, because he was somebody who would have his opinion about football but would base it upon statistics. He played a game of football which was designed to be as efficient as possible, and people hated that. So maybe this change would have happened with or without Guardiola at City. Ahead of the game with Liverpool, I asked Pep if indeed he did instruct his players not to shoot from range, because they have a better chance of scoring by working a better opening. I said to Roddy to score. I to shoot and score, yeah. I was at pushing. Yeah. No, there is a decision of final third when the ball is there, they're not just stupid. So there is a ball there in front of the goal, say, no, no, shoot, no, shoot, no, no, no. Of course, Andy should. He also told me it was all about the different qualities that his players have. We don't have Kevin, for example, now. They can do it. Or there are Gundo, 
He was a good runner, so they're in that position. So different type when Phil pour more inside and dribble his opponent, he shoots. Julian is a player can do it. And he says it's down to his players to make the necessary choices in the moment. I said many times, you overestimate, you give a lot of credit to the managers, what we're doing with the teams, you know? So it belongs to them. And 99% of the decisions when belongs to them, not not to us. We, 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 don't, we don't pass one ball. So have an idea to me what you have to do at the end. The use of data might have changed the game in other areas too. It's not that sexy, but let's talk about corners. Corners themselves, again, this is a big misconception. They feel like they're quite an exciting thing, and I've yet to see a corner be one that wasn't celebrated by you know a fan base as such. For all the time that attackers work on what to do from those set pieces, defenders are doing the same thing. One of the reasons why you play it short is to change the angle and to change the look and draw out the opposition. Because say if you play it short, the other team have to bring out an extra player and from when that extra player comes out, there has to be an adjustment elsewhere. And then the ball all of a sudden being live forces people to defend in a different way. And teams possibly do that because of the stats. Opta data suggests around one in every 29 corners crossed into the middle results in a goal. That's about 3%. Now, this is a bit of a handbrake turn, so bear with us. It is still a City podcast, but have a listen to this. This is the Notts County manager, Luke Williams. OK, right. I'm going to tell you the truth now. Okay, we have the most shots on target from corners in EFL. One in four corners results in a shot on target is the best by a long way. We've actually scored the most goals in the division from corners. But you don't know they're from corners, do you? Because unless we whack it in a box, it's not a corner. Okay, but we take a corner. We pass the ball until that ball is turned over and we give it away or it goes off the pitch. It's still a corner. In that clip that's gone viral, he was explaining why Notts County continue to take short corners. Corners have a very low success rate across football worldwide, you know, putting the ball into the box. But of course, when somebody runs through the crowd and heads the ball and it smashes into the back of the net, we remember it. We don't remember 50 corners that just got caught by the goalkeeper, hit the side netting, headed away, we just forget. And we also forget that when the ball comes into the pitch immediately and he's passed five times and then crossed from the other side, we think it was open play, that it was just a part of the game, but it wasn't, it was from a corner. And what he said next could easily apply to City as much as it does to Notts County. When you play against Notts County, one of the issues that you have is that the ball is in play for longer than any other game in the AFL. Some of the defenders Many, many of the defenders, they love corners because they can have a rest. We take the ball, put it down, immediately pass the ball and the defender, ah, oh, again, Notts County. Come on, just kick it into the goalkeeper's hands so we can smash it the length of the pitch and break. No, not going to happen, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. What Williams is talking about there is controlling games and controlling opponents. Maybe that is Guardiola's influence. Here's Chris Collinson again, this time talking about how goalkeepers use the ball. I think this is one thing that you probably can attribute to Guardiola arriving in the Premier League because in the three in each of the three seasons before Pep arrived from 2013 to 2016, Goalkeeper passing actually was 51%. Like for all, each, all three seasons, it was stable, 51%. In his first two seasons, it went up to 54 
And in every season without fail, it's gone up. And at the, at the moment for this season, still early days, it's at 71%. Chris also explains why goalkeeper pass accuracy has improved. It coincides, as you'd expect it to, with the percentage of passes that keepers are making into their own half. So again, across the Premier League 10 years ago, it was only one in every three passes would was keepers playing it into their own half. Two thirds of them, they would kick it long, whereas that's flipped this season. It's now two out of every three are being played into their own half. So Guardiola, and especially because it was quite public at the time, the way he came in and just said to Joe Hart, thanks, but no thanks. I think that that is definitely one of the innovations that Guardiola has brought to the Premier League. And this all brings us back to what Anua said earlier, that point about it being better to keep possession and create good chances than it is to rely on a moment of magic. If that makes the game predictable and boring, as the critics suggest it does, then why does it cause so many problems for opposing teams? I think there's a level of fluidity that comes with the way that the game is played, whereby you need certain people in certain areas and you tend to attack and defend in different ways at times. Maybe you can be playing in what appears to be a 4-3-3, but then you defend in a 4-4-2. And that element of fluidity is the stuff that keeps the opposition guessing. Because, as I say, it's about making the pitch as big as you can if you're a team that wants to keep possession. Because it makes it harder for the opposition to close you down in certain spaces. And when you do that, then the look of it could be anything. There are times even, say, for City where it could be two centre-backs and Edison. And now you've got your two full-backs higher up than, say, two sixes. The more you can sort of look at football for something that's far more fluid in terms of being in positions that matter the most at the key times, I think that's what's best. And if Guardiola's football really is so dull, why has each incarnation of his successful teams got such a distinct identity? I asked him what the differences were in each of his versions of City. The fundamentals are the same. Depends on build-up and the fundamentals are the same completely. But last season we play mainly the important part of the season with Rodri, John, Gundo and Kevin and this season we have just one player. The basis is the midfield, the four players now just play one, so you change a little bit. There is some players that need to adjust something like these four, they will it blindly, you know? They know exactly what they have to do, they don't need to talk to me, they don't need to be there. And that brings us right back to the very start. As the last ten and a half minutes have hopefully proved, City's approach to matches is quite interesting and backed up by both how successful it is and what the data suggests. And if you think there's no room for moments of instinctive brilliance in how Guardiola's teams play, then you might want to watch the first 13 seconds of last year's FA Cup final all over again. Hi, this is David Bernstein, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. So that was a look at uh, whether Guardiola has made football boring. Um, Jack, uh, I mean... Guardiola's influence has obviously been felt across the Premier League and across uh, across football because you look at how the game has changed since he arrived. Um, but boring? Are you having that? Uh, no, I can understand why neutrals are not like massively bothered about watching City purely because they they think they know what's going to happen, um, and quite a lot of the time it does happen. Uh, and it's not got you know you look at the look at the Galatasaray United game the other night. It was like great game, but also crap game. Yeah. Like, Quality-wise, it was awful, but yeah. it was like quite exciting to watch. 
Um, it's, it, does it not kind of lead into what you want from football and what most neutrals want is a chaotic game that nobody can control? And yeah, that's, I think and, I mean, and, like, I th- and, and, and fans of like for City fans, we all want City to go out there, control the game, boss it, and win it quite comfortably. Yeah, fans would want their teams play exactly how City play. Um, that's it. If it was Liverpool, there wouldn't be such a uh, a countrywide furore about it because there's generally a bit more of a, a loving and there's a lot of resentment with City. For for entertaining games, you need mistakes or a lack of quality for it to be absolutely gung-ho and, and yeah. bad to watch. We don't provide that. I, I was unbelievably bored of United winning all the time in the 90s, believe me. Yeah, funny so, that, isn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, think, like, I think the season as a whole, Premier League-wide, has been exceptionally boring. Like, Everyone's knackered. There's so many injuries. Is that this has been the worst season in recent memory for me? I just not engage with it whatsoever. Like the injuries is just stupid. So no one can put out the proper team, and the like standard of officiating is like it's just an all time low. It's just like you go into games going, it's just it's just rubbish. Like. <laughs> I, I just don't like I, I'm just not am I the only one that thinks this maybe I am um, I, I've but, not thought about it so I don't like, I, I, it's kind of one of those that I that I'm reacting to instinctively now and my gut instinct is to disagree but I don't really know why regarding the injuries it's, it is getting to some sort of tipping point where people have been saying it for years that there's too many games but you, you are right I've noticed it myself in terms of like everybody seems every fan you listen to is like oh so many injuries it's like it's really not you know we're the same we've got like two of our best players out long term and we're being accused of rushing them back there's too much pressure on them and the VAR thing is also reaching a bit of a tipping point in it it's just becoming the most boring repeated conversation about how shite it is and it's, mm. it just takes that long it really is sapping enthusiasm for the game but I just think yeah I think if you add those two things together so everyone at any point in time has got five six seven injuries so therefore you're not watching the best teams you add add that to just the farcical nature of VAR and the referee as a whole and you go well it's just not very good is it as a product yeah, and uh, just before we move on, Chris, I've just seen uh, that Mike Keegan, uh, Jack's colleague at the Mail, is reporting that um, there's been a date penciled in for the Premier League's charges case against City. A trial expected late autumn next year uh, with witness statements currently being gathered and the verdict could be the end of the 24-25 season, so the end of next season. Um, longer than you were hoping, maybe? I don't know. I didn't expect it to be any time soon. Um, I didn't. I didn't expect the announcement to be any time soon, to be honest. So it's kind of a surprise that, it, that it's come out at all. But uh, I mean, what can you say? Come on, City. <laughs> <laughs> Witness statements, though. What that's intriguing, isn't it? Witness statement. Oh, I, I, I saw him send the email at. Uh, I believe it was raining at the time. But yeah, it's going to be. Uh, what was the date of it again? The trial autumn. Uh, autumn next year. So uh, in in, year. in about a year's time. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's going to be. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, isn't it? In in the intervening time, um, like, do you do you feel, I guess, annoyed about kind of like the discourse around it? Given that, I mean, the wider football world and anybody who's not a City fan seems to have made their mind up that City are guilty, come what may. So let's kind of like just get on with it, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, everybody, social media is so kind of poisonous and all permeating that everybody, everybody has an opinion based on like none of the, none of the facts. Um, I don't know if City are guilty and I don't know if they are guilty, how guilty, but the people who think that they are guilty are the same people um, that think we don't have any fans or, <laughs> yeah, or, you know, this, that we've got a squad which provides two first-choice players for other teams um, for our every position. It's just a, a huge miasma of bullshit that surrounds City and whether we get off or get found guilty, that will just continue. So, you know... <laughs> I've said I've said it for a while. I've not really bothered whether they find us guilty or not. It doesn't change my experience. If anything, it will only enhance it. Send us to the second division. We've what? What's the worst it can do to us that we've not already experienced? We've had really good experiences on top of all the shit we've had. Are oh, you going to give us some more shit? Well, Pep's already said that if we if we were to get relegated, that's the more mo- even more likely. The most likely scenario for him to stay is if we get relegated. So, a big part of me is just yeah, <laughs> bring it on. Yeah. Was it was it Brer Rabbit who said uh, he's tricking uh, Mister Fox, saying please don't throw me into the briar bush anywhere but the briar bush, and he lobs him into the briar bush, and he's like, ha ha, I was born and raised in the briar bush. <laughs> this is where I do my shit. Watch me go now, and then um, I believe. Brer Rabbit won the league and <laughs> yeah, so, fair, fair point. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how that one goes. Uh, but for now, it's time to look ahead to the games with Spurs and Villa. Let's bring in Jack from the Rule the Roost podcast. Hi, Jack. Hello, mate. Good to be back. How you doing? Not too bad, thanks. We've got immediately got a problem because we've now got two Jacks on the program and um, we can't see anybody. So we're going to have to work out how we're going to speak to each other without us getting confused. So, uh, do you go by any other names? I don't. I mean, you can just call me Spurs, Jack, if you want. Does that, does that sound a bit too formal, doesn't it's it? A bit, it a bit it's a bit odd, isn't it? Jack, uh, Jack Gorn, do you go by any of the names? Uh, no. No, good. Right, okay. So we'll stick with Spurs, Jack, and Jack there, shall we? So uh, Spurs, Jack, let's start with you. Um, it's been a great start to the season under Postacoglu, uh, but three defeats in a row now. So how how's the feeling around uh, what's going on at the moment? It's weird. It's a really funny limbo at the moment because... I think this is one of the most unprecedented injury crisis we've we've faced as a club in probably my lifetime. Just just in the respect that all of the players that we wouldn't want to get injured pretty much have all gotten injured or suspended in the case of Romero and a doggy as well. Um so it's it's I think what we can be annoyed about is the fact that we haven't had enough cover going into the season, but the results almost feel and it, you know, does this throw back to what Harry Kane was saying about res- defeats not being a disaster at Tottenham and we all got very angry with him? But I don't know if we're that sort of annoyed at it, about Spurs in particular, just annoyed with the situation, if that makes sense. Yeah, like yeah. Say, it's a weird kind of limbo state. Yeah, so I mean, because the mood has changed, doesn't it, around the place? It is, it is a much, much more upbeat mood right now. Big time, big time. Everyone's much more bought into it. I think a lot's been made of the, you know, us losing 4-1 to Chelsea, nine men on the pitch, still playing with a high line. But if you've just gone through <laughs> four years of Mourinho and Conte, honestly, lads, I, I, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it was it was a joy to behold. <laughs> um, 
it's just emblematic of what Postacoglu is, the spirit he's brought to the club. Um, I think there's a, there's a quote from him talking about one of his previous jobs when he said, you know, there was a game in particular when we were about 3-0 down and they were still playing the way I wanted them to play. And that's when I knew I had them. And that's kind of what we've got in mind here at Spurs is that there needs to be a wholesale change here. Look, everybody's heard all Spursy this. It's in their DNA. They always bottle it. They always go back into their shell, this, that, and the other. And we had Roy Keane, I'm sure one of your favourite guys. Um, yeah, we, we love him. Absolutely yeah, love him. talking about this the other day, <laughs> saying, oh, you know, they've just bottled it. They've gone Spursy again. It was just a woeful misreading of the situation. You know, we've got this massive injury crisis, but we're still playing well. We're still putting in good performances. And it's going to take time to undo four years of negativity at the club, not just for the players, but for the fan base, for everyone associated with the club. There is, a, you know, it feels like there is an actual change taking place for yeah. once. Um, so, you know, I think we're just happy to go with it for now. Yeah. Chris, when you hear kind of like that, that sort of weight of history stuff uh, from Jack there, um, are you worried about Spurs given the horrors that they've inflicted on us over the last few years? <laughs> I'm always worried about Spurs. Well, not always, just when we're about to play them, really. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they always seem to do a number on us, don't they? There's a bit of a hoodoo. And a bit. Lo- lose it, well, losing three on the bounce, for me, is the worst possible sequence of results for Spurs to have um, come into our place. Because it's just inevitably not going to last forever. And who better to, to face to um, turn things around than us, given their recent record against us I mean is it that bad it feels like it's that bad it's yeah it's not great I mean last season the 4-2 the fact that City were 2-0 down and came from behind to win that one at home and the performance they put in in that second half that was the whole happy Uh, flowers thing from from Guardiola has that changed your feeling about it um not really because we seem to have that kind of complacent air that Guardiola had to work so hard to shift at that time at the moment, um, it's a real kind of we're kind of taking it for granted at times that we're gonna we're gonna boss games and having to be jolted out of that kind of complacent mindset. And yeah, it's a it's a real test. It's very much in the balance this game. I'm not going into it with uh, any good degree of certainly not overconfidence, <laughs> not even <Yeah>. confidence really. It's, <laughs> no, uh, no confidence whatsoever. <laughs> no, the overriding feeling is trepidation, and um, you know history bears that out. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. Get a dollop of City nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. So, Jack, uh, as the non-City fan on the panel this week um, and the non-Spurs fan on the panel this week, um, what's, what's the reading from uh, the, kind of like the neutral point of view of this game? Because like, if you, you, you look at the way City have been playing recently and you look at the way Spurs have, have, have suffered with injuries, it feels like it should only go one way, but it's dangerous saying that. 
Yeah, I think it will only go one way. Uh, not particularly because of Spurs, but I think because of Tuesday night, um, I think they had a real rocket up the behind on Tuesday night with the way they played first half. Um, and we've seen examples of that over the last few years where there can be a little catalyst. Um, and I sort of expect Sunday to be one of those afternoons where they just go out all guns blazing and, and try and win the game in the first 15, 20 minutes because there's been a few things over over the last week, really, um, that sort of lead me down that lane, if you will. The first one being, obviously, the performance on Tuesday and mm. what Pep Pep said after, after the game, but also the comments about the fans last week, um, the Liverpool game. I think if you put those two things together... Sunday could, you know, we could be looking at uh, sort of a ferocious afternoon. Yeah. How does how does that make you feel as the visitor, Jack? We've uh, <laughs> obviously had this run of results that's not been great. We have played well in patches um, and that's been, that's been heartening to see. Um, we made, we played some of the best football I've seen us play in quite a long time in the first half against Aston Villa. Yes, I am clutching at straws. Um, but, Fact remains, I just don't think we got the personnel. Romero's still out. Um, Basuma will be back, but he's after he got kind of sent off for that ridiculously theatric dive against Luton Town. He's not been kind of the himself that we've seen at the start of the season. Losing Bentancur again after that Matty Cash tackle is just is catastrophic. Not having James Madison there is that true kind of creative outlet. It's going to be. Have, a have difficult you got eleven players here? Just thinking about this. <laughs> well, mate, honestly, you know we 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 played. We've we've had to resort in times to playing two fullbacks as our centre backs, Ben Davis and Emerson Royale. Um, Eric Dyer is just so unsuited to this system. We're just honestly, we're not in a. I was I was relishing this game. You know, if, if a few games back before that Chelsea game, before all these injuries came along. There was a bit of a meme amongst Spurs fans of like, could we, could we Leicester it? Maybe. Could we? Could we do it? And I don't think it is quite as ridiculous as maybe some people made out. We had a really good team. We were playing sensational football. We're not in Europe. Mostly one game a, one game a week. And our big caveat to this was as long as we can just keep everyone fit. And then, <laughs> lo and behold, everybody didn't, you know, wasn't fit. We knew we had no depth. And that's where we're at now. Um, the, I would have looked forward to this game if Spurs had the team of you know available to them that we we saw you know do a number on United to play really well away at the Emirates, which is never a happy hunting ground for us to finally beat Liverpool, um, which caused so much commotion. It, it's. I, I don't want to be negative. Spurs fans are very quick to police one another, to say, oh, you're just being negative. You're part of the problem. I'm sure most fan bases do this. I was going to say, been there, done that. There's a, there. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I just think being as pragmatic as I can going into this game, mate, it's... I, I, <laughs> honestly, I think we're going to get battered. I really do. Because Postacoglu is not going to play conservatively. Mm. He just isn't going to. It's not in his DNA. He's wonders of this up front. And people keep saying, yeah, but surely, surely you're going away to the Emirates. Surely he's going to play more conservatively against Arteta's men and all this type of stuff. He didn't. And 
you know, it paid off for us. Surely when Spurs are down to nine men against Chelsea, they're going to play conservatively. You you see with that we didn't. And going away to treble winners, Manchester City, he won't be doing that. He'll probably be saying to them, look, you always beat this lot. Why why can't you do it this afternoon as well? Who cares if they got Haaland and whoever else? Like, doesn't matter, you know? I copy Pep, so <laughs> let's do one better than him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just for, for City, Jack, um, do does City have selection problems in the sense of there's not really much room to rotate at the moment? They've got they've got two tough games here, Villa and um, and Spurs. And you kind of you kind of think the team's going to be pretty much as it is. Yeah, they haven't really got much wiggle room. I mean, how many times have we spoken about this over the last eight years that the small squad is by design, but it does pose its problems in, you know, October, November, and the run up to the run up to Christmas. If they were playing, if they were really, really sharp and playing their best football, you go, well, it's absolutely no problem. They can just carry on um, rolling on. But I just, I don't know. There, there seems to be something not not quite clicking at the moment. Um, I can't really put my finger on what it is. Um, but then you've not really, yeah, you've not really got the opportunity to to switch things up. Um, and send messages to players that you might want to send. And his only roll of the dice at the moment is Doku and uh, Doku or Grealish, or maybe giving Alvarez a rest. I don't know. There's not. There's not too much you can you can do. You can to change do. It up. Yeah. No. Yeah, for for City, Chris, this is a this feels like a big week because they've that you know you look at, at the re- recent results, you know, lost to Arsenal, drawn with Liverpool and and Chelsea. It does it feel important to kind of win one of these big games at the top of the league right now? Well, not just winning the big games. It just so happens that the last few games have been big, but we've not won. We need to win a game in the league. I mean, we've dropped off a bit, and uh, yes, it is worrying that we're not going toe to toe with. Um, the bigger teams at the top of the league and winning because it shows well it shows uh, not a lack of intent but it shows that we're not strong enough to beat these teams at the moment we're not playing well enough to beat them because we haven't so yeah we need to step up and hopefully make a statement because these are the, you know if you don't beat these teams then they gain confidence as well as um, you not gaining points and it can it can start to drift away yeah, the the counter to that, of course, though, is that City are currently a point off the top of the table, and like it's it, you look at this stage of the season. Is there any criticism in saying, well, just keep it tight, make sure you're within touching distance, and then do your thing after Christmas? Yeah, absolutely, because hopefully we'll have Stones and De Bruyne back. Um, I don't know how far off either of them really are. Um, there's a real balancing act in terms of you know introducing them back and keeping them fit but yeah I agree if we are within a point or two we know we've got it uh, historically in our locker to, to kind of psych that one out yeah but go, and, go and do it we're still def- as Jack said uh, non-Spurs Jack catchy title there um, <laughs> when, when there is something not clicking at the moment we're not we're not at our best we're definitely not as good as um, I don't think we're as good as this team can be but we're certainly not as good as the team we had uh, last year when firing on all cylinders. Yeah, any means. Um, just looking at, at Spurs' selection, uh, Jack. Who 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 will it be if if Spurs are to cause City problems? Who will it be that do it? I mean, we all that we all know about Son. Uh, is is there anybody else available who could cause problems? Well, yes, Son is the man. Um, Dejan Kulusevski 
has been working hard. His kind of role at Spurs is kind of a strange role under Ange Postacoglu for such a for such an expansive manager. He's kind of got Kulisevsky playing as sort of one of the workhorses really in the team. He can always kind of cause problems, but that's going to be more from his toil. It's not going to be really from moments you'd anticipate. Somebody who's really excited though since he's come in is a uh, Brennan Johnson. And I was very sceptical about the signing, you know, 55, 60 mil from Nottingham Forest for, you know, this kind of fledgling player who's not really torn up trees. But in this system under Ange Postacoglu, he's looked really exciting. Um, His technique's really nice. He's got a really lovely touch on him. He runs into space very nicely. He's got, he's rapid. Um, He's a really exciting player. We haven't seen the best from him yet, I don't think. So I think he's got a, you know, a big kind of moment in him coming soon at some point. Um, so if it's not him, I mean, a, a, another player that's absolutely sensational that we've got on the books is Destiny Adoggi as well. I don't know if you've seen much or heard about him, but he's again, he's a he's a player signed for us by uh, Fabio Paratici, um before he kind of you know, left due to crime reasons. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> um, the secret ingredient was crime. <laughs> Destiny Adoggi, he's just, he's sensational. He looks... Again, I'm not saying this negatively, but he looks like a player that probably won't be at Spurs for too long. He looks like a, a City Real Madrid type player. He looks he looks exactly like the sort of player you you lot would sign and have, and everyone would be saying how amazing he is. Yeah. Like he's brilliant. He's a sensational talent, but you know he is a fullback. So in terms of who's going to cause you real problems, I, th- I think you got you can't look past Sonny. But like I say, just keep an eye on Brendan Johnson. Yeah. Um, the other player I wanted to ask about, and um, it, it kind of feels it's gone a little bit under the radar, this. Um, how much has, has Vicario coming in changed the way you play? Well, massively. I mean, it, I think it's made us realise, God, Larissa's actually been clapped for years, hasn't he? You know, like, we've we've had that thing of like, oh, you know, he's, he's still, he's, he's such a statesman of the, of the club and he's you know he's our club captain and he's a world cup winner with france and we'll just overlook these kind of goals he keeps letting in at his near post and the fact he seemingly can't kick what the hell does he do in training this highly paid professional <laughs> but all those he, uh, all those same questions we used to ask about Otamendi, and he's won a world cup as well so you know <laughs> these, these things happen yeah but vicario coming in i mean Again, another player we didn't go for. We didn't opt for David Raya. Um, we thought he was too expensive. We signed Vicario for, I think, about 17 mil or something like that. Everyone was kicking off about it. Typical Spurs, being stingy, all these other sort of anti-Semitic tropes about Daniel Levy. And then, lo and behold, he's actually really good. This this sort of data-led acquisition that that all those nerds go on about is actually, is actually quite good. Um, because he's been pretty much impeccable. He's been flawless. Um, it's quite astonishing, really. Uh, so, yeah, long may that one continue. The data, the data stuff's interesting because I think that obviously Spurs would have been doing it before Postacoglu came in, but he he's taken a lot from the City Football Group in terms of recruitment. Mm. Um, I spoke to spoke to his assistant at Yokohama earlier in the week, um, Peter Klamowski, who. Uh, yeah, it was like talking to Angie himself. Everything, everything was mate, and everything was great. <laughs> and I, it was weird. I asked him if he'd like, you know, can you just tell me what what he's like as like a man manager? He was just, I won't do the accent, but he was, he's like, mate, I just miss working with him every day. I was like, buddy hell, this guy must really be 
must really be something. Like but in top, that top top boss sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, but in that, like Peter was saying that how much uh sort of they learn from CFG and how, you know, they were having like weekly or fortnightly phone calls with Brian Marwood and Zoom calls before Zoom calls were a thing. Um but the biggest thing was the recruitment and how they can whittle down a pool of, I don't know, arguments say five hundred players, whittle them down to twenty and then whittle it down to five, like within seconds because they've got the metrics that they need because there's a there's a style of play in place that the numbers know what what they need for a specific position and he's I you look at the recruitment in the summer and obviously it's not all Postcoglu but you look at it and you go well they've they have actually signed players for his style of play which had quite a lot uh, this is obviously from the outside looking in but quite a lot of Spurs's recruitment in the last five six years seems to have been a bit muddled whereas yeah. This time it seems clearer. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the positivity aside, Jack, we've got the charity bet a bit later on. So um, <laughs> let's have your prediction for that. You've already said that you think Spurs are going to get battered. I don't think anybody here, like, certainly anybody from a City side of things, doesn't think that specifically. But uh, over to you. What what are you put on the bet? Look, it, yeah, I, I, I do want to, I hasten to say once again, <laughs> I'm not being negative. I just think... Postacoglu is not going to bow to anybody. He's going to come to Man City. He's going to make a fist of it. He's going to try his best, but we just don't have the players for it. And I'm sure you'll know when you go kind of try and go toe to toe in Manchester City, unless you've unless you've got the tools to do so, you're going to be punished. And I I think we will be. I can see it being a good like five nil to you. I think this is going to be a real chastening one for Spurs. I do. I uh, I hope you're right in many ways, but I like you, so I hope you're not that right. <laughs> Jack uh, from Rule the Roost, thank you very much for joining us today. Cheers, Dave. Thanks a lot, mate. Always a pleasure. Jack from Rule the Roost there. Now, we'll uh, get the rest of our charity bet predictions shortly, but first, let's hear from Frankie Maguire from the All Villa No Filler podcast. I started by asking about their good start to the season. I'm glad to be on here to actually talk about Villa in a good context for once. <laughs> uh, things are actually going well at Aston Villa. It's uh, incredible. And and to be honest, you know, from the day Unai Emery, uh, or Professor Unai, as I call him, uh, when he walked into Villa Park a year ago to replace Steven Gerrard, the best football I've ever seen of Villa, truly. Um, and there's a reason we are where we are in the league um, this season. It's a continuation of what we saw kind of towards the end of last season where we went on a long, unbeaten run. Um, just playing controlled, um, thoughtful football is how I describe it. Uh, just outplaying teams, you know, particularly at home where we've got an amazing record so far this season, won every game. Um, you know, teams that, you know, that are in sort of the lower half of the league, uh, we're tending to just outplay them and win, you know, 3-1, 4-1, 4 nil against Everton. But then, uh, you know, somebody like Brighton who comes along, who were a bit more of a, a team that are, you know, competing for Europe this season. And we just find out a way to to, to absolutely batter them 6-1 and play in a slightly different style to what we've done in, against other teams. Um, it, you know, as a Villa fan, I've not really had this pleasure of seeing such amazing coaching you know, I, I wouldn't say Stephen Gerrard or Tim Sherwood were two coaches capable of doing what Unai Emery's <laughs> doing. And it's just been absolutely extraordinary to see. And, um, you know, of course, it could all come crashing down against Man City. But, uh, no, it's it's a very, very exciting time to be an Aston Villa fan for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you said about the league position, fourth in the league. And from, I mean, I've not watched a lot of Villa's games this season, but the one thing I can say from the games that I have watched is it, it doesn't feel like it's an undeserved position at all. 
Um, mm. and, and you look at, at, at kind of, you know, a third of the way through the season now. Um, how, how can this season go for you, do you think? Yeah, it's... Um... I, you know, I was just a few Villa fans last night. Um, pretty much the only people I hang out with anymore, is it? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was, I was, we were sat around talking, and um, it just came up. You know, like, can it be done? Can Champions League be done? And uh, the more you watch the Villa, the, and you know, you look at the coach we have in Unai Emery and and the players we have, it's it's something we can definitely dream of. I think. Uh, I still think in my head that Newcastle will probably get the results they need in a Manchester United as bad as they're playing. Um, and really, I've watched a lot of their games recently. They've been very poor to watch, but they just have a knack of winning. They're a, they're a terrible football team, mate. And there's only so long you can you can rely on individual brilliance to win your games. Don't, like, honestly, and I, I'm not saying this. We have a phrase in the City fan base, uh, Burton. And I'm not saying this just to Burt's, but United are not good. They are. I, I, I wouldn't worry about them. Yeah, um, they're they're poor, but I think kind of as a, you know, again as a Villa fan after decades of United being that team, you know, that always get results and somehow, you know, I just sort of look over the shoulder and think, oh God, is can we, can we hold off teams like Man United or Liverpool? And I think if we can, it's yet a, yet another step forward for Villa because we've had a, under Emery, we've just had so many step forwards and ended so many hoodoos. One of the few hoodoos we still have left is Manchester City, <laughs> um, and I, I'll be honest with you. I'm looking at that game coming up, and I still think in my head, in my heart of hearts, I think I just think you're too good. I, I don't, I don't know how how you stop City, but um, but where, where Villa can go this season, uh, you know, I, I dare to dream of Champions League. I think it, I think it's definitely definitely now a viable prospect, even though December is going to be very very busy, and I might have a different outlook by the end of the month. Yeah, I was going to ask about the busyness because how have you how have you found uh, balancing the Conference League alongside uh, the Premier League? Strangely, those midweek games have actually helped us, I think. Um, because let's take, for instance, like players like Yuri Tielemans and Leon Bailey, two players who have been more squad players this season and have at times, you know, particularly Tielemans, I'd say, they didn't look very confident very early on in the season, kind of looked a bit off the pace or weren't too sharp. And there was just one game against Altmar where Bailey and uh, Tielemans were absolutely crucial in the 6-1 win we had we absolutely battered them and they were both just brilliant brilliant performance from the two of them um and uh was it 6-1 or 4 I've completely forgotten the result now <laughs> I've had so many big results now this season I've sort of well forgot. I was going to say that like the 6-1 against Brighton 4-1 against Altmar there's uh, the 3-1 yeah. against Fulham you've, you've you've put some goals in this year yeah exactly and uh it, it's just that yeah so I think those midweek games um they've got plays um up to up to to sharpness, I guess, and um, particularly squad players who are now coming in, looking sharper and making a real difference. And Emery, you know, he's won the Europa League four times. He's you know he's got Champions League semi final with Villarreal recently. He's just a manager who clearly knows how to manage with Europe and uh, with the league as well. And uh, at the moment, it's it actually seems to be benefiting us. Um, that might change as the season progresses if we continue to go far far in the in the Conference League, but. Um, at the moment, I think it's actually worked, um, particularly for players who just aren't getting 90 minutes every single game, but they're getting, you know, the odd 30 minutes here and then starting in Europe and just looking sharper and more confident. 
Yeah. Now, um, City have Spurs before uh, Villa. You've obviously just beaten Spurs, and uh, I watched that game, and that that felt like a, a very much a game of two halves because I was I was watching the first half thinking, "Oh God, I'm worried about Spurs," <laughs> and then I watched the second half and thought, "Oh God, I'm worried about Villa." So, yeah. um, like, how's how's this season been in terms of of uh, that sort of mentality? Because the, uh, like it, the team came out a completely different team in that second half. Mm, I think for Villa this season at home, we've looked very, very capable and there hasn't really been a moment at home where we've looked particularly shaky um, other than maybe, you know, after the second, uh, at the start of a second half at home, we tend to be a little bit slow out the blocks, um, but then find a way of getting a goal away from home. We've been much more um, not, not as convincing. I think, you know, um, we got the win against Tottenham, won at Chelsea, uh, won at or drew at Wolves, and a hard place to go, and won at Burnley. But we've we took some batterings as well at Newcastle and Liverpool, and that was where and lost to Forest as well. Where in those first fifteen minutes, I think Villa, you can Villa, a team who likes to control the game. I think we look a bit like a La Liga team at times, which is no surprise given the coaches we have. Um, calm on the ball, quite measured, uh, good build up from the back. But uh, I think in those first fifteen minutes, if Villa aren't Villa aren't necessarily totally settled. The opposition team can really get at them, particularly away where the crowd's at their back, the high energy. And you saw that again with Tottenham, where it looked like Tottenham could have could have scored two or three, even although Villa looked like they could have scored a couple as well. Um, and Tottenham's press was absolutely ferocious. It was a bit like, it reminded me a bit of like a Bielsa team or something. It was like our two sense mids in Douglas Ruiz and Kamara, who were excellent players. Um, but... It feels like a couple of occasions this season away, particularly if you can overwhelm them in the middle, Villa really struggled to play out. And, I, you know, Guardiola is such a brilliant coach. He'll obviously have probably seen that. And I would not be surprised if City try something quite similar at Villa Park next week. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Ollie Watkins because uh, how can we not, given his form over the last, well, I was going to say last few weeks, but it's 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 months and months now. Um, I don't think I've ever been more wrong about a player, Frankie, if I'm honest. Um, right. he, when he when he arrived, and uh, under especially under Stephen Gerrard, I was like, I'm not having this guy. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, he's a he's a fantasy league must pick because like the, he's, he's almost guaranteed a goal every game, isn't he? Yeah, and I think that's it. I think... Um... He's, he's scored double figures every season for, since he joined Villa. So that's four seasons now in a row. But he uh, he has had long spells as where he's looked where he's looked unconfident, quite clunky on the ball. His first touch hasn't has deserted him. hasn't got He's gone on a run without goals. But it just feels under Emery that there's been a shift. And he said it himself where um, before he was tending to run out wide a lot. Now Emery's saying to him, stay in the middle. His goal. Tally, therefore, is going up because he's closer to the goal. He's in more threatening positions. Um, but it just feels like everything has, has just gone up a level with him. He's not just his kind of ability to score uh, goals and particularly instinctive goals, but uh, just kind of his like, his hold at play, uh, the way he works with other players. Um, he's always been a very hardworking player, but uh, it just feels like his all-round game has improved absolutely massively. Um, and he, he now kind of looks like England's number two striker. Um, mm. And, it, you know, what? he's always had a tendency to score against the bigger teams. I think he scored a few times against City. And again, I, it's, it's, it always tends to be like instinctive first-time finishes. So, um, so yeah, he's, he's definitely a threat for Villa, I think. And if I was to think how we might hurt City, it would probably be something like, quick ball into Watkins and just a quick first-time finish, um, that might be the way we can get a goal against City. Yeah. Is it still Diaby pulling the strings as well uh, behind him? Yeah, Diaby's been uh, a super signing. He's, he's been slightly 
not as overwhelming in the last couple of games where he's come off a bit earlier. Um, but I, I'd sort of put that down more to this was sort of always going to happen where it's, you know, new league, new system. Um, you might just have a slight drop off and the confidence might drop. But at the same time, he always looks very, very, when he gets the ball, he always looks um, the speed of thought and uh, his ability to work well with the right winger um, and then to come deep and lay it off to the centre mid as well, to like a McGinn. Um, his interchange work is absolutely brilliant. Um uh, and speed of thought, he's finishing. He's, he's a very, very intelligent player, Diaby, and been a, been a top signing for us. So, uh, so yeah, there's, there's certainly um, more that Villa have in attack that City will have to think about uh, than definitely in previous seasons. There's some real high quality attackers uh, that Villa have now. Yeah, you know, you know what, Frankie, I I, I love talking football with you, and <laughs> um, like it's it, it, other than this weekend, other than this mid- midweek coming up, um, I, like I, I I'm really pleased that you that you're enjoying it for once. You know? <laughs> like it's been a long time since I felt this sort of enjoyment from you, so I'm really pleased that you're getting that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, normally it's uh, quite a dour, brummy accent I'm yeah. speaking with about Aston Villa. Uh, the, the the dark clouds are over me, but uh, no, that that's what Uno Emery's done. It's um. It's, it, honestly, me and, me and fellow Villa fans generally, we, we, a lot of the time we look at each other just in stunned disbelief of what we're witnessing. And there's times I go to Villa Park and watch the football and think, this is extraordinary. And, yeah. You know, like I say, like you know, uh, we, we got battered at Newcastle and Liverpool and City or Arsenal, who we play three days after that, could come and do a job on us. But you just kind of feel like even if we do get battered, you just sort of think there's a, there's a mentality and a style that Villa have now that they'll... They'll come back, and it won't, it won't sort of linger and run into like a five six game run of we're going to lose all the time. It's, just, yeah. it's something something feels different at Villa at the moment. Good. Well, I'm uh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Let's uh, let's <laughs> let's put let's hold off that enjoyment too much for the midweek. But uh, other yeah. than that, that's uh, I'm, I'm glad it's going well. Um, let's get a score prediction for the charity back coming up. Um, it, this is a hard one to call, I accept. But uh, mm. when we have guests on, I don't have to do it. So over to you. <laughs> so yeah, we're we're on a extraordinary number of wins in a row at home. Uh, I think it's God. I've even forgotten myself whether it's twelve or thirteen, but. Uh, I think City might be the team that ends it. Someone's got to do it. And I, I still have the hoodoo of City over me. Uh, I I don't think we win. Uh, I, I, if we do, I'm I'm literally going to be running around the street in, in absolute unbelief, disbelief. Uh, but I, I'm... I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go draw. Right, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be a draw. Um, I've always predicted City beat us, but I'm gonna say two-two, an entertaining two-two. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. That was Frankie Maguire from All Villa, No Filler. Um, let's talk about the charity bet then. We got close last week to a big win, but sadly Julian Alvarez's winner against Leipzig took away the two-all prediction made by Adam Monk on last week's show. 200 quid down the Swanee for that one. Let's try and put that right for this week, though. William Hill is giving us three £10 correct score singles. The winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. Go and see them outside the Etihad with a donation if you can ahead of the Spurs game. They'll be there between 2 and 4 o'clock on Sunday. That's uh, They're just under the bridge near Asda, so go and have a look out for them. We've heard uh, from Jack already that he's gone for a 5-0 City win. Uh, that's 25-1 to 1 and £250 if he's right. Uh, Chris, what are you having for this? Um, as positive I can be is 2-1 uh, City, so I've gone for that. 2-1 City is absolutely fine. It's 17-2 to 2 if it comes in, £85 if you're right. And uh, Jack, what are you having? Uh, I'm having 4-1, but I think it might be more. 
Okay. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I've put 4-1, so I'll stick with 4-1. 14 to 1 and 140 quid if you're right. Uh, that brings us to Villa. We heard from Frankie. He's gone for a 2 all draw, uh, which is 12 to 1 and £120. Uh, Chris, what are you having? I think it'll be really tight. Um, I'm not willing to bet against us uh, just because I don't want to jinx it. So I've gone for 2-1 to City in that as well, boringly. No such thing as jinxes, so don't worry about that. But still, uh, 2-1 to City is 8-1 to and 80 quid if you're right. Uh, Jack, you're very you want- superstitious about that, aren't you? <laughs> Jack, you wanted uh, two walls and it's gone. So uh, what did you change to in the end? Well, as you would say, I'm putting a tenner down the swanee. Uh, I'm going for three all. <laughs> three all, eh? Hey, I tell you what, if it comes wow. in, though, uh, 45 to 1, uh, 450 quid if you're right. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed that you are him anyways. Uh, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for information on gambling responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, we're going to squeeze in one quick listener question before we finish. Uh, get in touch on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can also email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, Ant on Twitter says, how careful does City need to be with John Stones, especially after another injury after coming back this season and his previous injury record. Given the way Diaz and Akanji were against Leipzig, it might be good to get him back, but surely we can't rush him. Um, Jack, he, he was on the bench for, um, was it Liverpool? And it was mm. almost like there's, that surely there's no intention to bring him on. Uh, no, he, he uh, Guardiola said after that that he, he's sort of two or three weeks away and that he'll be um, introduced into team training a little bit. We should... Uh, so I thought it was slightly odd that he was on the bench. Um, Is that just because we've got nobody else? Do you think? Well, I know, but then if, if someone's not going to, if someone physically cannot play, then why even name him? Um, yeah, very strange. But he would have been. I, I guess he would. He would have been around the around the first team anyway on the yeah. day, and so you know whatever. Um, it would be interesting. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see how they deal with it. He. Um, when he gets when he gets plagued with these like little muscle problems, as we've seen in the, over the past few years, he just finds it really difficult to get out of it. Um, and there's been some there's, there were a couple of at least a couple of seasons where he had started come out to come out of a poor run of form and then got himself injured, which I think everyone was quite disappointed um, with at the time. Obviously, he's a very different player now, um, but he's obviously worried about it. He's hired. Um, He's hired his own sort of physio to to work with him in conjunction with the club, which suggests to me that he's he's more um, he's more mindful of of needing of, of needing to sort of strengthen his muscle more than he yeah more than he has been before. Yeah, Chris. For I mean, we've mentioned it already. Um, the idea that City get De Bruyne and Stones back in the new year, sort of thing. Um, but it, it's one of those where it's like, yeah, they might get him back. They've they've had Stones back already once this season, and and they've they've lost him again. It's not it's not necessarily something you can rely on. And you look at how important he became to the team last season. You, you kind of you kind of wonder, like, like, are there a lot of eggs in the John Stones basket? Well, yeah, and the the De Bruyne basket as well. As well, uh, I mean, technically we've had him back because he was injured at the end of last season, albeit he came back for a few minutes against Burnley. Um, so, I mean, Ant's kind of answered his own question really well when he said, given away Diaz and Akanji were against Leeds, okay, we've got to have him back, but we can't rush him. Yes, agree. Uh, we obviously are treating him with kid gloves. I think maybe he was just on the bench to just have him as a as a voice, you know, as a presence, because we're missing that much on the on the pitch in that respect. But. Uh, 
I mean, you get the feeling with each injury where people are rushed back, is that long-term making them even more vulnerable and even more, um, it's even more appropriate to be really, really careful. I don't know what more they can do. If they've got an extra physio for him and they're, they're treating it like that, then it tells its own story, really. Mm. We'd be kind of idiots to just be thinking, oh, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. We're going to get De Bruyne and Stones back because, as we as we know, as we're discussing, it might not turn out like that. So, yeah, uh, fingers crossed, really. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, but that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening and thanks also to my guests for this one, Jack Gorn. Thank you very much, mate. And Chris Higginbottom. Thank you very much. Stay tuned for a clip of this week's Patreon show. I'll be back next week. I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. It's got to be the one where Fernandinho pushed Fabregas over the advertising board. <laughs> it was just, it was just so unnecessary because it was. I was fuming that day, but it was that De Bruyne open net mischance in the Chelsea game uh, when we could have gone two 0 up. We were battering them, and then yeah. the game just folded, and then they were three one up. The players' heads went. I actually, I don't usually, but I actually missed that red card because I was that fuming. I just had to go at about eighty-seven minutes, so I just couldn't take it. But obviously, we saw what happened. The Aguero on the Wee's challenge. They always had it out for each other. Um, he got rightfully sent off, and I can't really argue with it. It's a two-footed sort of Roman Reigns spear yeah. kind of thing. It's just really funny ground. because it's basically a challenge yeah. where Aguero's gone. I am going to get a red card. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just assault on it, really. Um, but yeah, like I think that was that was the best red card or the most atypical red card you're ever going to see. Um, but the fact that the Fernandinho, who I don't think, well, he wasn't the captain at the time, but definitely one of the leaders in the team, just took it upon himself to just shove Fabregas over an advertising board after we were already down to 10. It just—it was just like so unprofessional, but kind of funny at the same time. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode. <laughs>